Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, the one about complexity approach and music. We are so excited to have Kelly and Rebecca here with us today to just jump into the complexity approach and especially how music can help us. But before we begin, just a few housekeeping items. If you are joining us for live credit today, a friendly reminder to log into the course portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz by the end of today to get your live credit for today. All right. I'm Caitlin Lopez, the host of the podcast, The Speech Life. And for this episode, I do receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. I have no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Kelly J. Perry, excuse me, is the owner of a private practice providing therapeutic services and educational consultant at Kelly Jean SLP. She is also the co-creator of Cluster Kids, and she receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com for agreeing to be a guest on this episode. She has no relevant non-financial relationships to report. Rebecca Zimmer-Huber is the co-creator of Cluster Kids, and she also receives an honorary for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. There are no relevant non-financial relationships to report. All right. Now I'm so excited to introduce to you these lovely ladies. I had the awesome opportunity to meet them at the California Speech and Hearing Association convention back in March, and I'm just excited to hear more about what they are bringing to our profession. And if you are a school-based SLP, you know how hard it is to find that perfect material, and they couldn't find it, so they created it. So we're excited to find out why it's perfect. All right. So I, like I said, I'm excited to introduce you to these ladies. Kelly has been a licensed and ASHA certified speech-language pathologist for two decades. She holds a master's and bachelor's degree in communicative disorders from San Diego State University. She has a special interest in early intervention and the preschool population. During her career, she participated in a research project with Jennifer Tapp Richard, looking at the complexity approach with preschool. Additionally, she participated and collaborated with Dr. Holly Storkel from the University of Kansas, part of her word lab, looking at the complexity approach with early learners. Kelly holds a special interest in bringing the clinical perspective to research studies, specifically looking at the complexity approach with preschool and early intervention populations. During a job share opportunity in San Diego Unified, Kelly and Rebecca Huber shared a preschool speech and language caseload. From their time working together, Cluster Kids was created. Rebecca is a licensed speech language pathologist and vocal music director with rich clinical experience, energy, and passion for her work. She holds a master's degree in speech pathology and audiology from Cal State LA, a bachelor's degree in speech pathology and audiology from San Jose State University, and a current license. She has a special interest in voice and voice science and has a background in music and vocal singing. 
She's a professional vocalist with her accomplishments, including the mastery of various styles of music, such as musical theater, big band, barbershop, renaissance, classical, choral, pop, and original compositions. Her experience includes singing as a professional performer with Norwegian Cruise Lines Temecula. That is awesome and so awesome that you got to merge or marry your two loves. So we're just really excited to jump into what it is you have for us and just how awesome to take a passion outside of the speech world and marry it to better help our clients and our kids. So that's really inspiring. And you guys have a really interesting story. So I think that's a great place. I know we usually do a three, two, one, but I think I'd like to hear a little bit about your history before we jump into the three, two, one today. Okay, well, I'll go first. This is Rebecca. And I guess I'm the seasoned speech language pathologist. We decided not to use the word that uh, starts with an O and has three letters. And yes, my first career was as a singer and a musician, and I still teach voice and cello is my other instrument. And I musically direct the musical theater productions at a local university. And I also teach vocal techniques at the university. My second career was as a speech language pathologist. And I guess the overarching theme here is that I I love to help people find their unique voices. And I started out as a SLP in the elementary age level. And then I started getting more and more preschoolers. They were definitely so much fun and had to have lots of creativity and activities for those little guys. And I was also trained very traditionally. So developmentally, Hodson approach, great, you know, all that. So when I started learning about complexity approach, it was very counterintuitive. And, oh, it seemed so technical, sonority this, sonority that. It was just overwhelming. But I attended Jennifer Tapp's seminars and trainings and tried to soak it in. But really, it wasn't until Kelly and I shared a preschool caseload that it really became real. And she helped push it over the edge. And I realized how incredibly effective it is. And as we were working together, we also realized that it is not easy finding materials that have a lot of complex clusters in them for preschoolers, especially, or young elementary age students, very, very hard in the literature and songs. And we all know that music works great with little kids. So that is how we started to collaborate and come up with our own materials for this population. Yeah. And so Rebecca and I, this is Kelly, we're job sharing together and we were sharing the same caseload. And so we really had to get on the same page at the same time. And so Rebecca was bringing her creativity and I was bringing a lot of the research based information regarding complexity approach, because it, it is one of the most evidence-based researched practices that is out there for phonology and it really can give you the most bang for your buck meaning that you can get a lot of kids off of your case so in a pretty quick amount of time and that's was at the hook I think for Rebecca too was to learn something new to help get these our students the therapy that they needed but also to exit them from special education services which is what we all want. Awesome. Thank you. That is such a cool story and I, I really love how 
you have like almost that left brain, right brain working together. And it's just such a cool story and such a cool product that you guys have come up with. So those of us that are not super familiar with complex approach, can you dive into that and give us three things we need to know? Yeah. So I'd say the first thing about complex approach is it came from Indiana University. Dr. Judith Garrett did a lot of research regarding complexity approach. And it is up to date one of the most evidence-based phonological approaches. And it provides children, we hope, with that less time within phonological treatment. And so probably what's also interesting is that very few SLPs actually use complexity approach. And so although it is one of the more evidence-based approaches with a lot of research that's backing up, there are not a lot of SLPs that are currently using that. So I think that's kind of an interesting um, like information to know about it. But what complexity approach does is it is a, what we hope is a greater system-wide change. So we're looking at our students that have significant phonological delays are impacted in that way. And what we do is we look at to see the linguistic system. And so if you think back to your grad school days in those linguistic approaches, so we're looking at markedness and sonority, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that too. But So that's probably the first thing is that it is one of the most evidence-based approaches in phonology. Also, too, just developmentally, um, ASHA documents that about 10% of children have highly unintelligible speech in their preschool years. And as Kelly was saying, if you want to identify these kids, give them something very powerful and get them off your caseload in early elementary, this is one of the great ways to do it. So for the complexity approach, is the target population that preschool population? You know, it's really kind of geared for like like three, we tend to see speech sound disorders amongst that three to eight years old when they come to us in the schools. And so as we know, as children transition into the public school setting, we get them at three years old. And then probably between three to eight is sort of the main target time. Research has also kind of shown that there's like a great language learning time when they're getting kind of closer to that four years old as well. And so that's why I've used complexity approach with my little three-year-olds as well as that prime time is around four as well. When you're choosing complexity approach, you want to think of a couple of different things. Actually, from the Dr. Kelly for Carson talked about from her class lab from Florida State University about like how you're choosing some targets and what targets to choose and maybe some targets to not choose. So with complexity approach, you think of a couple different things. The first one is markedness. So when we think of markedness, you have to think it back to your grad school days. If a language has, for example, fricatives, then they will have stops. If a language has three element clusters, then they'll have two element clusters. And so what you do is you look at its markedness. And the targets that we want to be choosing for our students are targets that are later acquiring, that have the implication that are marked with the least amount of knowledge, and those that are non-stimulable. So I'll say that again. So when we're choosing our targets, we want to think of our later acquiring sounds. We want to think of those that are implicationally marked, so those that are like harder targets to think about, and then those that are non-stimulable. So when we think of the marketness idea, what we're thinking about are 
for our students that have significant phonological impacts that may not have any clusters, we want to maybe be considering some two-element clusters. And that's what we're going to be looking at, too. We also want to think of, so after marking this, you think of seniority. So we think of those clusters that come together that may have a difference in this seniority, and that's what Dr. Ferguson talked about within an Instagram post one time about when you're choosing certain targets. Certain targets to maybe stay away from would be ST, SK, and SP because the seniority is in a negative impact. And when we're choosing our two element clusters, we're going to be choosing seniority that might be in a sweet spot. And those would be clusters such as FL and SL. And also, we want to also think about some three element clusters, which would be SPL, SKW, STR, and SKR. So when you're choosing your complex clusters, there's really like a sweet spot. And that's what Rebecca and I sort of came together and we realized that there's a certain amount of clusters that seem to be its sweet spot where in its markedness and its seniority, it's sort of in, those are our targets that we tend to go for initially. Awesome. So this is like completely different than Cycle's approach. Yes. <laughs> like it's like the Definitely. exact opposite of Cycle's approach. Yes. Which is like a really like, you know, interesting, right? There's a lot of different types of phonological approaches, and we always take into consideration a child's personality, their readiness as well. And so what Rebecca and I were finding is that when they're in those preschool ages, they tend to not have a lot of sounds in general, and it's a pretty easy to kind of hone in on if you're going to be starting at an FL cluster or an SL that's where you might need to do a little bit more of, of some deep probing, and I'll talk about that soon. But Rebecca and I found that when you make it fun and you include music, kids can really become ready and ready to learn those really complex clusters and the sounds that they may not have any knowledge of or maybe completely what we call unsingable to even produce these sounds. So often have preschoolers that do not have L. They might have S or F. But we are attempting to push them and to make those really complex sounds. And the cool thing, too, about FL and SL is that you do not have to produce either of the two sounds in that cluster to begin working on it. They do not have to be stimulable, which, again, counterintuitive, but it's amazing how it can work. That's awesome. I love hearing that. You know, if and I like that you made the point of, you know, of course, we're going to take a kid's personality and where they're at, you know, into consideration when we choose the appropriate approach for them. Okay, so have you gotten through? You have one more point to make, I think. The third point is just to try to figure out, like, where do you even get started? So having a deep probe. So, you know, after you've maybe done your Golden Fristo or you've had the Arizona or uh, some sort of sound inventory, what we call phonetic inventory, you do need to dive a little bit more. And so there's a couple of different resources. So Michio, M-I-C-C-I-O, came up with a stimulability probe. And actually from the, the Department of Education in Virginia, they have a really nice probe that you can download and it's completely free. And you just do a quick little probe to determine if a child has that sound in their system or not. 
So that will be, because with complexity approach, you want to be, like I said, thinking of later acquiring ones that are more marked or complex and those that are non-stimulable. So you're looking at your non-stimulable targets. So if a child may have S in their sound system, you might want to start with FL because the S is already in their sound system. Additionally, Jennifer Taps on SLPATH, that's P-A-T-H dot com, has a nice phonemic inventory, and it's a really short probe. It's really quick. It's about 20 words at the most. And what it does is you can determine if you can work on those, what we call three element clusters. They're a little bit tricky. So with three element clusters, if a child does not have those last two for example, for an XKW or SQUA or like square, if the K is not in their sound system, you really should stay away from our three those three element clusters and just focus on those two element clusters first. And so that's the deep probe is a great way to determine where you're going to be starting with your preschoolers. So you'll be going into your three element clusters or your two element clusters. Great, thank you. I feel like I need a whole nother class just in complexity approach, right? It's so hard to cover it in just a one hour podcast, especially to bring in the other element that we're going to dive into. But the good news is for the listeners, Kelly and Rebecca are going to be teaching a course here pretty soon about complexity approach and music and diving in a little bit deeper than just our, our one hour conversation. So I will plug that for you guys, <laughs> uh, which will be on speechtherapypd.com which I'm very excited to, to take that as well to really dive in deeper with complexity approach. Okay, so now that we kind of know it's the most you know, researched, evidence-backed approach to phonology, we have somewhat of an idea of how to choose the targets you know, as best as we can in an hour, and then kind of where to go from that and doing a deep probe. So now that we've kind of talked about complexity a little bit, what are three things we need to know about bringing in the music therapy to this or music into therapy? Right. You don't have to be a music therapist to do this. In fact, you don't even have to worry about having a great voice or carrying a tune perfectly because young children's pitch is very narrow. So as you've probably noticed, children's songs have only five or six pitches usually. And it's, so it's very, very narrow and it's very repetitive and it's almost like a talk sing sometimes. So you can use music, bring it in, in lots of ways. And the reason why you really need to do that is because young child's brain processes language as music and music improves speech development. And so it's a natural fit if you're going to work on complex clusters to bring music into it. It's important, too, to remember there's a shared sound category learning mechanism in the brain that is used for speech language and music, and it's the same system. And there's a ton of research that talks about this. But if you think about it, that when a child hears speech, there's prosody, there's rhythm, and there's this spectrograph of sound, and they have to pick out the important bits of information from this huge sound that they're hearing. Music is the same. It's rhythm, it's prosody pitch, 
and you have to pick out what's important for the text or the lyrics. And it's the same system in a young child for both. So that's why it's not a waste of time clinically to have a child be listening to music, moving to music. And it's even more wonderful if the song has their cluster that they're working on over and over and over again and giving them lots of opportunities to hear it, to say it, to call response with the therapist during the music. And even for kids who are hesitant to use their voices, even just getting, giving them a little maraca to keep the beat is still they're participating and they're getting something out of that. And they're also probably the, well, one of the biggest things about it too is the engagement. It covers so many aspects to teaching. Music itself is a universal language and it transcends language barriers. It transcends barriers. It's a social activity. So you get kids participating and much research has shown that it increases attention. And when you think about that, a preschooler, three years old, has an attention span of about six minutes. A four-year-old has a sustained attention span of about eight minutes and you have them for 30 minutes. So the drill and kill is just not going to work with these kiddos. They need to get up and move. They need to sing, dance. They need to do finger plays, incorporating upper body movement and finger plays with the music is part of our movement break that we incorporate. And the other thing is that an educational setting, I can bring in children who are medically fragile in wheelchairs and they get to participate in the dance. They get to go around in a circle and move their upper bodies with their with someone pushing their wheelchair. So they feel they are part of the whole experience. So socially and emotionally, it's huge. And probably the other thing too is that music is is besides being fun, it really taps into how children learn. The other big aspect of vocal prosody, extending your prosody would be that research has shown that children who listen to a story that is sung have much, much, much better comprehension than if the story is spoken. And there are studies that even indicate if you include distractions. So you're singing a little song to the student and there are outside distractions, they still comprehend better, even with the distractions than a spoken story. And I tried a story about splat just today, and I used the melody Frere Jaca, or are you sleeping, are you sleeping, Brother John? Except I used that melody as I sang the story to the student, and you couldn't hear a pin drop. The children had sustained attention and to be quite honest, sometimes the splat books, they're great, but they can be wordy. So it's a great way to break it up. So you don't have, like I said, you don't have to have a great voice. You can just start adding a little melody to your story. And you have children who are comprehending and staying with you. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? 
Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. And I think that's kind of when you're working on these really complex targets with these really young students, it can be really challenging and they can feel frustrated as well. But with the music and the songs, you're flying like a flamingo. Every student is really excited to fly <laughs> like a flamingo or to have an airplane and like, you know, pretend to fly. And so the music becomes extremely engaging and motivating for the children to keep working because we're pushing them sometimes, you know, to a really challenging place. And that's what we do as speech and language pathologists. We're teaching them some growth mindset at a really young age. We want to keep it engaging, motivating, and we want to push them, but we want to keep them. And we want to keep them engaged. And, we, and so that's why I think the music is such an important piece also to what we're doing as well. Absolutely. As you were talking about it, I was just thinking about some things that I've tried with kids, you know, maybe not related to complexity approach, but just in terms of keeping them engaged and singing songs. And as you were talking about it too, just all the different centers in the brain that are lighting up if they're moving and singing and then also, you know, working on their, their speech and language goals, but particularly, you know, their speech goals with their speech sound disorders. So that's really exciting. And like you said, you know, these little ones, they don't have the attention span. I mean, you said what, four minutes to eight minutes, possibly like, and if you're working in a clinic, even, I mean, you've got those kids for a full hour and not just that 30 minutes. So Exactly. Yeah. If we're having fun, then they're having fun. Have multiple opportunities to have movement breaks, song breaks, playing games, and finger plays and stories. It's great. I really love that idea of just the way you said that. Of you know, it's not you're not doing music the whole time. It's just that little movement break, but it's not a break. They're still working. Mm -hmm. They just don't realize they're working. Oh man, this is so exciting. Because, you know, a lot of these phonological approaches do require children to have about 70 to 100 practices within that time that you have them. And in order to get those trials and practices, we can be really creative, but, you know, it's nice to have something that you can kind of take out or put on or change just maybe the feel of the session too after you've practiced several times you know maybe have some pre-practice at the beginning of your session and you're trying to get kids sort of ready and warmed up to work to have the music and song to keep it going throughout the sessions has been a really great motivator for students i absolutely love that i want to make sure rebecca that we didn't cut you off so your three things are just the evidence based behind using music because it's using you know, we listen to speech and we have to listen for positive rhythm and to take out the important parts of that big sound we're getting. And then that idea of the the movement and the different parts of the brain and then the engagement piece. I mean, that's really the biggest and exciting piece. And I loved your idea, too, of giving a kid a maraca, you know, like he's still participating. And even if you tell him, do it when you're hearing your sound. Exactly. That's great idea. Yep. I had a little kiddo and he did not want to do the movement break with the other kids. 
and gave him a little little shaker maraca. And so every time he heard the word fly, flap, or flutter, which were the movements that the kids were doing, then he got to shake it. And then he also was then into hitting like the downbeat of the music, which actually is a very good skill as well. He was paying attention and listening. And then pretty soon felt that he was part of the group then. And he actually, after about the third session, he was getting up and doing the movements with everybody. And the kids also call out what movement they want so they get some practice saying their sounds as well. Let's fly and let's flap, let's flutter. So again, it's a, it's a whole sensory component as well as social. I love that. You know, you're targeting speech sound disorders, but yet you are, you're also getting following directions, right? And you're getting that social aspect. So this is so fun. This is why speech therapists, I think, really could save and change the world with the way we look at things. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) All right. So did we cover your three things? Did you have more to add? Okay. You did a great job better than I did. I had like 10 things and you encapsulated them very well. (laughs) All right. So what are two resources then for those of us that want to start incorporating music into using the complexity approach? Yeah. So, you know, two that come like directly to my mind, slpath.com is really, Jen Taps has really put a lot of information together for complexity approach and really great resources. A lot of what she has is free as well. So just really generous in how it is laid out, how to choose your targets, some of the deep probes that you may need as well. And you know, there's some other resources on slpath.com. And then Cluster Kids. Cluster Kids is really, you know, where you can find your kind of your go-to, where you can find the songs. And there's some narrative stories in there as well. So we know that groups are not perfect. You'll have a phonology kid and a language kid and you know the music has put together some of the characters of the story. It created these narratives as well as a lot of practices that can come through singing and as well as games and play too. Yeah, Cluster Kids has a freebie section where you can use the videos there it's video and audio so they have the song and they have a visual model of children doing the movements and there's also suggestions for using simple songs that are off copyright that hone in on your target cluster so for flamingo flap we have one on there that sung to the tune of rain rain go away a flamingo flap likes to fly and so you are using that very simple melody and looking, going through the book. It's, you know, not too long, but it gives them extra practice there. And then there are other stories as well that have more of a story arc. You can ask your WH questions if you have, which we often have heterogeneous groupings of children. And also some of our kids need language just as much as their speech intelligibility. So... A Cluster Kids does have that available. And also it's very targeted with the cluster that you're working on. So it's no more hodgepodging, grabbing this, grabbing that, trying to figure out 30 or 60 minutes worth of therapy with all these 
unrelated, but, you know, interesting activities, but at least there's a theme. And also, too, I loved the idea of just grabbing a box, my FL box or my SL box, because I was going to lots of different schools and having it right there and pulling it out and having that consistency. And the kids, they're at the point now, I'll say, okay, what, what flamingo flap activity do you want to do? And they would do it. So, Again, it's a time saver It'll stre- and it's, it's very helpful to streamline what you're doing. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you have the different aspects to it. So you can use it with a whole group because like you said, it's, we don't often have the luxury when we're in the school setting to only see phonology kids working on the exact same targets. And I do love that Cluster Kids has that option of the story arc or, and I love the way that you put it too, of just grabbing a box and you've got your, your session for the day, or at least, you know, you're a group of sessions that you can target that. So that's really awesome. How do people find Cluster Kids? Clusterkids.com, K-L-U-S-T-E-R-K-I-D-Z.com. Fantastic. So there you have it to go find Cluster Kids. And thank you so much for posting up the freebies for those of us that are always looking for something free. But I mean, it's a great way for us to get comfortable with your product and see what there is before we really dive into it. All right. So we've talked about two resources, slpath.com and then Cluster Kids also as a great resource to use during therapy. If we want to get started tomorrow, what do you recommend is our actionable strategy? So with complexity approach, it can feel overwhelming. <laughs> and so I would encourage people to actually go to Dr. Storkel's tutorial. She wrote a tutorial in 2018 from one of our journals, and it's the complexity approach to phonological treatments. It's open source, you know, through ASHA. You can just go on in and even type in Dr. Storkel, the complexity approach, and her article will come up. And it's a tutorial, so there are free probes in there as well for you to do that deep probing because that's probably where people need to start everyone pretty much knows how to get you know that assessment piece in with a golden like i said a golden fristo or the arizona but it's that deep probing to try to figure out where to get started when we're looking at our students who are highly unintelligible they tend to not have a lot of sounds in their inventory and so many times it's about where do you start do you maybe start with like FL or SL. And so that's probably where clinicians can look to that article, get more information, because it is pretty lengthy when you talk about complexity approach, markedness, seniority, all of these words that we've heard a long time ago. But to just get that deep probing, just to see where to get started is where they can go. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, I do know that I've had kids on my caseload where I'm like, I can't even do the cycles approach because they don't have enough phonemes to cycle through. Exactly. So I can see how this would really, really be beneficial for those kids. So thank you for that. All right. Now it's kind of fun for some fun story time. Do you have any examples of maybe Rebecca, like the first time you really saw the complexity approach when you just totally were like, yes, I'm bought in. Like, do you have a a kid or a, a group that you remember working with? Where this happened, or Kelly, maybe you can give us an example too of where you just really saw music being such a huge impact or such a huge, you know, win for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of get quickly started, and then I'll let Rebecca share about her aha moment with complexity and the student 
what I found is, although I call myself like the book smart girl, <laughs> I you know had all the information with complexity approach. Rebecca brought in the fun. And Shane brought in that really creative side and helped me sort of, you know, we kind of, I sometimes feel like when you've been in the field for a while, you get in a rut. And, you know, my students were still making really good gains with complexity approach, but I was kind of feeling like I was in a rut. And what Rebecca brought to me was a lot of the fun and preschoolers need fun when we're working on such hard sounds. And so the creativity that she brought was really amazing. And what was also pretty cool too, this is sort of like a little side story. We worked with the Slipa and we loved her and her niece was a big part of Cluster Kids that she provided all the illustrations and the graphics to it too. So it really was born out of us wanting our own materials <laughs> and wanting, and it became sort of like a family, like, Thing, you know, like we were at a school site working together, talking together. We'd share sort of an every other Friday together as well. And it was just a really creative experience to be a part of that and to include our slipa in that too. I love that, that, you know, that idea of the slipa's niece helping out. And I know when I talked to you guys at Kashi, you were like, yeah, and you were sharing the product. You were like, yeah, this came because there was nothing like this and we needed it which I always feel like are the best products that you find out there, the ones that are created by speech therapists, because they're the ones who, who use it and need it. So I love that. And yes, I would agree with you. You know, there are those times where you get in a rut and you just need somebody to like, just, you know, sprinkle you with a little bit of creativity and a little bit of fun. So I have to say that Kelly was so wonderful with helping choose the targets because I was like grabbing for everything. And she was definitely very thoughtful as to the names we were going to give the characters and what would be easier to say, what would be more difficult, what is the, you know, the technical side of it. Cause I was throwing everything out there and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's be thoughtful about this. So it really, like you were saying the right and left brain, absolutely. And then plus having our Slippa's niece, it was a family event, really. She uh, And the kids chose her pictures out of everybody else. And so that was the other thing. It was, it was a work in progress that was being tested as we were creating it for the kids. And it really took all of us for it to be effective. How fun that it really is kid approved, too. <laughs> Kid approved. That is awesome. I love that. Just the more the stories kind of sprinkle out about your product, it just makes it so fun and so cool that you guys have this shared experience, but then it can also, you know, benefit so many more than just your caseload. That's really inspiring. So Rebecca, was there any particular case that you had where the complexity approach just really blew your mind? I have to share with you Hobie and I have parents' permission. She came to us at four years, eight months, highly unintelligible. She had 28% consonants correct. There wasn't much to work with. So we started her on FL and she did great. But then it came time for the progress report and boy, I gave her another probe and I'm thinking, well, I don't know, has this made any difference at all? And this was three months later after 10 hours of therapy, and she had 
gone up to 40% consonants correct. And the thing that blew me away, this is when I was totally so like, oh my goodness. And we've seen this with other kids as well, of course, but all these sounds had come in that were not explicitly taught. And of course, that's the beauty of the complexity approach. She had the g, the, the velar, she had the final s, and sounds that were omitted were being marked, including the w, she was doing a w for l, but at least it was there, something was there, and the final consonants were coming in. So I thought, great. And then school ended and mom asked for some homework because mom knew how powerful it was. And so I gave her an FL packet and an SL because to my horror, little Hobie was overgeneralizing the FL with to the SL. And I thought, oh no, I've ruined her. I've broken something. This is terrible. <laughs> but it gave us the opportunity for her to really start to pay attention to that very small phonemic difference. So mother just took the materials home and played around with her and did it. Nothing too stressful. One month later in June, mom brought her to me. She had no direct therapy for a month. And now her consonants correct was 55%. She was so much more intelligible. And I thought, yay. So I did the probe that's on slpath.com that Jennifer Taps came out, the short one. And we have now moved her to three element clusters. And she's producing S, she's now working on SKW because the K sound started to come in. So it was just so amazing to me. And that was the, okay, I'm totally sold. Any child that I cannot understand, boy, we're doing complexity, <laughs> no matter what. It was just amazing. Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. That sounds I think like that's the beauty of complexity approach is that we don't need to be working on every single sound that is not in a child's inventory. And that is what the research is telling us is when we work on these harder, more complex sounds, it's creating that greater system-wide change without us having to work on every single sound. And so that's another big piece of it too. That's awesome. You know, Kelly, that's such a like great spot to say that because when Rebecca had just finished, I wanted to say, oh my goodness, it sounds like you're talking like voodoo. But then you come in with the science and you're like, it's not voodoo. This is exactly. legit. And that's why I think the challenge when you talk about marketness and seniority can kind of get lost a little bit and you're a little, you think, oh gosh, I don't remember, you know, I kind of remember hearing that in my phonetics class, but the linguistic universal laws that are there within our English language system, you know, prove that strategies like the complexity approach work and that's why they are so effective. That's awesome. And I love that story. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing it, because that really does highlight and illustrate how powerful the complexity approach can be. And I really love, too, how much data you gave us. You know, she only had 10 hours of therapy at this point. She had of no indirect therapy. And so I think that's really valuable for our listeners to hear that information as well and not oh, well, she was being seen, you know, 30 minutes every day or whatever it may be that we sometimes think, right? Like, oh yeah, that worked for that one kid. But thank you for including the therapy data too and the time spent in therapy. I think that that is a really powerful thing for us to hear. 
All right. So we did it. We got into three things to know about complexity approach, three things to know about the music and bringing music into our therapy. And I really like the way, Rebecca, that you talked about that because it's not just using music with complexity approach only. We can use music with everything. So all of our listeners really got a huge bang for their buck today. Usually we just get a three, two, one, but we got a couple of threes in there today. So thank you for that. You know, is there any other things that you guys can share or any other stories that might have stood out? Maybe from Cluster Kids, like using your own product. Did you see a huge difference with kids and their engagement? Because the product was created because you didn't have anything, right? Yeah, one thing that I think is pretty cool is, and I'll let Rebecca share more about this, is, you know, going into special day class preschools too. And so when we go into our, some school districts have certain classes for our preschoolers, our paraprofessionals can really like join in with us as well. And so as a speech and language pathologist, you know, we guide treatment. We know how to diagnose and do the assessment piece. But there's many others that are helping us along the way in our treatment sessions, whether we have the access to a SLIPA or a paraprofessional. And so I'll let Rebecca share more about her experience within a special education classroom, specifically for preschoolers, too. And that's also another powerful piece with cluster kids, too. Yes, thank you. The occupational therapist the teacher, the assistants would sit in and I would literally use this approach with the entire class. And the amazing thing is that I started hearing all the professionals and paraprofessionals starting to use the same language. Oh, that's your bitey windy sound. Remember, you know, and, and pointing to their mouth to give that visual cue. And, and then the occupational therapist, she took the words from Cluster Kids and had the students practice writing. Flo is one of the characters in Flamingo Flap Story. The kids would shoot, would write Flo. And they, and it was all of these lines that were easy for little kids to, with, with fine motor difficulties. Not easy. It was part of their goals to write those types of lines and circles. So I think the fun thing for me was that hearing them, everyone using the same language to talk about speech and then following through with games and activities and the cards that I left for them, they would play memory with the cards. If there was any downtime, they would say, oh, let's get our, let's get our speech stuff out. And they all felt confident. And the reason why I, working with these large groups is because our caseloads are huge. In fact, my spring preschool afternoon class last spring, every single child had a speech IEP in that classroom. So we have these big caseloads. We need everyone on board to help support these kiddos. And for the children who had language issues, they were retelling the stories. They were making up stories using the Flamingo Flap cards then the medically fragile kiddos who were a couple doors down started hearing about what we were doing. And I said, bring them over. And so they participated, listened to the story. And then when it came to the movement break time, they were participating, as I said before, because this is how kids have fun and learn. They, they move and make movements. And if the child was having difficulty, it was 
the most warming thing in the world to see the other kids coming to help them. They wanted to push the wheelchair or move, help move their arms to the movement. So you had that huge social piece as well. The other aspects is that because it's you're having fun with the kids, they don't know they're working. And so the, the level of language just starts going up. The engagement, of course, is up. And it also took the fear. As a speech pathologist, I think we're so used to working one-on-one, small group, that when when someone says, yeah, come into the classroom and do your thing. I mean, for me, that was very intimidating at first. And I'm not a classroom teacher, right? So this has helped give me confidence. And everyone is benefiting at multiple levels. And the support from the teachers is phenomenal. And then, of course, when we send little packets home for the kids to practice at home, the parents are bought into it because the teachers are so excited and they're practicing and the parents are becoming educated as well as far as how to support their children. So it covers a lot of bases. Yeah, that's awesome. I loved hearing that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. That sounds like such a dream experience, you know, to have everybody just a part of it. And I love that the OT was working on some of those things, you know, the the F and the L and the O for flow and just how much fun that is for, for everyone to be a part of. And I'm sure the OT loved it too. Like, oh, great, great. These are things we need to work on. It's work. There's going to be carryover later on when you're working on it. Like, just to have that teacher buy-in and then the, the parent educators in the classroom carrying on with that information too, or carrying on with those activities and those prompts and cues. I mean, that's, that's huge. And so fun that, you know, other classes are hearing about it and like, Hey, we want to be a part of the fun too. And as you were talking about, you know, parents being excited about it because the teacher's excited, but I'm also thinking, you know, if you have characters that the kids are excited about, you know, I want to, oh, mom, look at Flo. I know when I used to do Matt and Molly in some of the classrooms, we would, I have a lot of props for it and we'd act out the stories. And then I'd also create pages for the kids to glue, you know, a Matt and Molly and to glue the different parts of the story. And then they could take it home and tell their parents. And I would usually just, you know, send a, a snippet of what the story was about home or whatever for the parents to do. And I know that the kids, knowing the characters would say, I want to show you my Matt and Molly. And how exciting that would be. I mean, you know, Matt and Molly is not a speech thing, but for the parent to hear their kid say these sounds that are hard to say and that they want to work on it, that's huge. So that's really awesome. Yeah, and it's fun too when you're working on characters like Flo the Flamingo and the parent comes to you the next day and said, oh, hey, at the Target dollar section, we saw these flamingos and so we bought them. So because they're fun and they're in the child's world and part of their experience, it becomes really adaptable in many different ways. That's awesome. I love that. How fun. I mean, that's also another like dream scenario for a parent to come, hey, I know what you're working on in speech. I mean, how often does that actually happen in the school setting because of our large caseloads that parents would know? You know, outside of the IEP, I think, oh, yeah, great. That's what they're working on. Okay, awesome. And then a couple weeks later, I think some of that information is, you know, gone. (laughs) But to have that carryover and the activities that the student can take home, I mean, that I'm sure is super powerful for families and for teachers to see that 
thank you for sharing that story. Do you guys have any other stories of, of maybe like a tough parent, you know, coming to realize like, oh, this does work or. I did have a student recently that sometimes we have what we call community based preschoolers. So their preschoolers going to a private preschool, but they come see us for speech a couple of times a week. And so their child, I started him off. He was only just three years old. After I did a quick probe and stimulability, FL was my, my starting point for him. His older sister had done a different phonological approach, and she was in 2K. And probably about mid-year, the parent had approached me and said, I can't believe how quickly he has progressed even more so than his older sister. And to have the parent tell me that personally, although it's quite anecdotal, you know, I know the research behind it, but then to have a parent just say that to me really was sort of like a mind-blowing experience. Like, yes, I know this approach works, but it was exciting to see the parent notice the difference between her two children who had both gone through speech and language therapy. They were both going through you know, different speech sound disorder treatments, but to have the youngest one be making so much more leaps and gains using the complexity approach was really exciting. And it was exciting to see the parent have that aha moment too. Awesome. That is so awesome. So I mean that right there, if you're not using complexity approach for your your little ones with that are super unintelligible, this would be that's like such a great commercial for it to just to jump into that. And so like I said, I'm gonna pro or push your guys' class that is I believe October second. It's on a Sunday afternoon if you are Pacific Coast time. Definitely check that out to dive in a little bit more to complexity approach as well as the resources that Kelly shared, slpath.com, Dr. Holly Storkel's information. Those are all great things to, to look into. All right. So as we are starting to come to a close here, Kelly, can you just recap your three things that we need to know about complexity approach? Yeah, what's the approach you're really wanting to consider those sounds that are later acquiring, that are more complex, and that are non-stimulable when you're choosing your targets. Oftentimes, those two element clusters, you'll find when you do a deep probe, you'll probably come to a place where you're probably looking at FL or SL as your starting point for those little ones. All right. And then, Rebecca, can you give us three things that we need to know about music? Use it. <laughs> so I would say jump in and start singing and moving with your students. Movement breaks, rhythm instruments for those that are hesitant, listening, call response, anything you can even do. Just turn on a rhythm and do a little back and forth with your student. It keeps them engaged. So I guess for music... You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be a singer. Just need to have fun with your student. Awesome. Thank you. And I think that I love the way that you just said that. You just have to have fun with your student. I know Lindsay Nataki, she was on the podcast uh, at the beginning of the podcast kind of coming together. And she would always say, work for the smile. Mm -hmm. That that is going to be your biggest you know, yes, we are working on our goals, but if you work for that smile, achieving those goals is so much easier. And so I love that. Just have fun with your student. And I love, Rebecca, that you have married. I know I said it already at the beginning, but just marrying your two passions together 
is so inspiring for those of us that may not be musicians, but if you have another passion, think about how you can marry those things together. Absolutely. And I've been there where I've been in sessions and I'm like, okay, I'm bored out of my mind. And then I look across the table and they're bored out of their minds, you know, like (laughs) this again. And so it's like, oh yeah, okay, we need to do something different. We need to shake it up. And so maybe I'll shake it up with a maraca this time, you know? There you go. (laughs) All right. And then Kelly, can you share your two resources for us? Yeah, two resources are slpath.com and Cluster Kits. There are some free resources on both of those websites, actually, that you can tap into quickly. Fantastic. Thank you. And then actionable strategy for tomorrow. Rebecca, I'm going to have you give us one related to music, and then I'm going to have Kelly give us one related to complexity approach. Start moving. Start singing. And I would say for complexity approach, go check out Dr. Storkel's tutorial on the complexity approach to phonological treatments. Awesome. All right. Well, I just had a lot of fun chatting with both of you and just hearing it was fun as the podcast progressed to hear these little snippets about how your product came together, how you shared the pictures with your students and they picked the pictures that they liked and just how it was such a homegrown movement. It makes it just a fun product for us to have in our hands, knowing that it came from speech therapists who care about this particular approach and also just loving hearing about how we can use it for more than just speech sound disorders. You know, we can use it for the language kids that are sitting at our table. Or maybe I should say not sitting at our table. We need to be up and moving, according to Rebecca. So those that are in our therapy rooms or the classrooms that we enter in, you know, it it can be applicable to all of those kids. So I love that. And I just really loved hearing, I know your class, I think it's called A Beautiful Duet, The Complexity Approach in Music. And that's so true, how these two things really marry together, the left brain and the right brain and the the, I'm sorry, Kelly, to call you the sciencey nerdy girl. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> and Rebecca's the fun, creative one. You know, I just love how <laughs> those two things really do. We need both sides to come together and make progress for our kids. So thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on the podcast and sharing about your story. And most importantly, helping us help our students make the most success. Thank you. This has been really fun. Awesome. Do you guys have any lasting words of wisdom for us or other than move and sing? That would be it. All right. Keep them moving, keep them them singing. Well, thank you so much for joining us and everyone else. We hope to see you. We won't be here next week, but the following week we'll be back with some tips on setting boundaries in the school setting for all of you. Yes, people and people pleasers. So definitely check that one out in two weeks. And we'll see you guys all back here soon. And hopefully October 2nd, we will see you all to dive in a little bit more into complexity approaching music. So thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you to everyone that attended today. We'll see you back here soon. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.